This is Managing E-Learning with Dr. John Alexson and Matt Herpold. I'm excited to introduce David Kelly, the Executive Vice President and Executive Director of the Learning Guild. David, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Can you tell us a little bit about the Guild? Uh, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Guild's been in existence for a couple of decades now, uh, formerly known as the E-Learning Guild, but we rebranded just a couple of years ago to reflect the full integration of technology and learning together. It's kind of hard to say that e-learning is separate from the learning conversation. Uh, and our conversations that we host as a professional development community have increasingly gone beyond what I would describe as the in-practice definition of what e-learning is. So our brand was, was updated to reflect that, but we still explore the, the intersection of technology and learning. Uh, as a professional development community, we have lots of resources that, that we offer uh, both in terms of publications, online events, in-person events. The majority of people connect with us at our in-person events, including DevLearn, Learning Solutions, and Learning 2021, which takes place next week. Cool. Yeah, David, I, I uh, have a, a warm place in my heart for the Learning Guild. Um, it was uh, one of my, it was an early member. I, when, did, when did it start? Right around the turn of the century, which sounds yeah. crazy old. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it was right around there, yeah. Yeah, because I, I got involved pretty early, 99, 2000, 2001. I, I think that there were maybe other groups that sort of were dominant in terms of the sponsorship of the conferences. And then, of course, when the dot-com bomb hit, things all changed. And I think the Learning Guild really probably grew from that. The ASTD and the Learning Magazine uh, conferences and such just, just took a drop after the the crash of the dot-coms. And I think that your organization really had a unique value proposition and grew very rapidly. And, and I was happy to be a, a part of that and spoke at some of your early sessions and held workshops. So I have a, I really like what, what you did the, in the earlier part of the century and later. Yes. Well, I, I credit what credit is due. Um, you know, Heidi Fisk and, and David Holcomb, the founders of the guild, um, when it was first coming on, they were, to your point, they were kind of looking at the landscape and saying, I mean, we take it, we take for granted these days that it's so commonplace, but they were looking around at the landscape and saying, you know, this, this technology stuff around learning is going to change things. And, and these, these new things, these personal computers that are everywhere, it's going to, this e-learning thing, it might catch on. Uh, and and nobody's yeah. really, really dedicating themselves to this. So they kind of saw a rising market and a need for people to make sense with how these technologies are doing it. And the guild was formed around that, that need within the industry, which they were very, very right in seeing that need that was there. And, and our growth over the last 20 years is reflective of them putting the resources in place that people could learn from. Yeah, very, very prescient they were. We don't dictate what comes out to the community. We listen to what the community is asking for. And then through the infrastructure that we have, we look for ways to delivering the resources that the community needs. Uh, but what I do think is, is unique about the Guild and, and does add a unique value proposition to what we offer is that the Guild has always been run programmatically by people who have lived the life of the L&D profession. While we do have event management, uh, you know, media company expertise and event management expertise on our team, the majority of our programmatic decisions are made by people like myself and members of our team that are have lived life there. They come from L&D. I spent 25 plus years in, in L&D roles in finance and nonprofits before the guild came to me and said, you know, we love the stuff that you're doing and the way you share with the community. Would you be interested in 
using those skills in a different way. And that is a unique element of what we do from our team. Our team is a programming team is all made up of people who come from the industry, who have a passion for the industry, love the work that we do. As we talk about expanding the reach and applying your materials to everyone who can use it in the industry. What are some of the goals you have for 2022 and beyond? So we've been focusing a lot more on the resources that can help people either use technology-based education for the first time. There's been a lot of intro stuff for people there, as well as just how do we navigate these, these challenges that we're uniquely in right now. And now we're starting to get a little bit more back on the, on the, the path of, of normalcy of what it looks like to get through there and how do we start getting back to the stuff that we used to do, focusing, you know, not to sound overly dramatic, but a lot of, a lot of um, organizations have spent two years in triage of just trying to get through everything. And now we're seeing that shift of, all right, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit away from triage and now back towards just normal supporting and developing our people. Let's get back on that train. And we're, we're, we're with them to give them the resources that they need for that transition. How has it impacted the corporate learning and development space in general? I do think the last two years have put a spotlight on the technology-based learning and education that organizations do in a way that it's never had it before. For better or for worse, it's, it's been in the spotlight. And I think that anytime you have a spot like that, like that, there is opportunity in that. I'm hoping that we can harness that as an industry. Do you think they're going to continue to invest in, in online methods of training? So we're going to start seeing more and more organizations just start to, to increase the spend of what they have. There's a lot of organizations that have gone into spaces that they haven't done before, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, and they're not just going to go back. They're going to keep it where it's at and, and, and expand the portfolio of options that are available to their L&D departments. Uh, and I think that that's going to be a good thing for the industry. Do you think that your members and in particular the vendors within your community have done pretty well over the last two years? Broadly, yes. I mean, a lot of it depends on the, the, the particular vendor and, and what their strategy was. Some of them have made some missteps, but I think a broad stroke would be that, yeah, the industry has done well. I mean, that this, is, this has been a period where organizations needed to reach outside of their internal scope and needed to find some external resources that could help them bridge this gap of hybrid workforce. And a lot of a lot of our vendor, a lot of our supplier industries have grown through that, and have developed new relationships that, again, they're counting on keeping post-pandemic. Looking at post-pandemic, you just completed your first, I think, in-person conference um, in Las Vegas, DevLearn, correct? We did. It was it was a long time coming. It was about <laughs> just almost almost two years since the last time we did a show. Our, our first show to get canceled due to the pandemic was in Learning Solutions. Uh, in March of 2020, which was right around when things went off the rails pandemic-wise. Um, we thought we were doing it two weeks before the show, and then very quickly, we were not. So it was, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a tough, challenging two, two years. The amount of, of uh, praise and appreciation that the attendees at the conference had this year noticed the environment and how comfortable that they felt. Um, I, I can't give our team enough credit for, for creating that environment that, that it can happen now, which is a good thing. What was so, attendance like? It wasn't, uh, it was, it was about uh, a little less than half of what we had for 2019. We budgeted for it to be about a third of what it was in 2019, figuring that we didn't know what to expect and the economy and people's willingness to travel, we budgeted for it to be about a third. So we exceeded our, our expectations for it, which is great. There was, there was a, we noticed that we got closer to the event that the hunger 
of people to just be together and do these sorts of things. I and mean, jokingly, I spoke with a number of people around, like, it's so great to, to see you. It's so great to have you be here. And another number of people just replied jokingly, like, it's great to be anywhere. I'm, I'm happy to be at Devlin, but I'm happy to be anywhere right now. Um, and, and I think there was that, that element of it, that there was just a hunger for people to take these first steps. And I also think realistically, another reason that I think it's important for events like DevLearn to take place is that there are a number, a huge number of people that also want to do something like this, but, and I'll be blunt about this, want to not only see DevLearn happen, but see that DevLearn's not in the news two weeks after it happened, that there was a problem at DevLearn. Uh, and and there, were, there are gonna be people, you know, change, it's a typical change management stuff, like, we need to change, but you go first. Uh, and I think that there were a lot of people who wanted to see DevLearn happen and see that it happened safely um, and events like that weren't to have that. And that will increase the number of people who are coming in. Yeah. I, I applaud you for being a leader. It, it always shocks me when these, you know, national associations are waiting for somebody else to do it. And so kudos, kudos to you for doing it. And of course uh, having it in Vegas didn't hurt. I'm sure um, <laughs> since they're trying to get back up and running and you had how many people attend? Uh, was it, we're still reconciling the final numbers, but it's okay. somewhere around 1,900 to 2,000 people. Okay, and, and did you do a hybrid where you had some virtual sessions as well? or We just made the decision to focus fully on the face-to-face event. And admittedly, one of the things, one of the reasons that we did that is we knew that it was going to require, in order for us to deliver the health and safety protocols that we put in place, which were their own challenge and, and line in the sand, so to speak, um, we knew we were going to want to focus on that, and, and we didn't. Anything else away from that health and safety protocols and making sure that we could create that sort of environment would be considered a distraction in our mind. So we focused fully on that. Let's jump to the topic of online learning. What were some of the hot topics discussed at DevLearn? Uh, so, I mean, without question, one of the hot topics is this, as I mentioned earlier, this moment that we're in of, of how do we get back to it? There's always going to be the element of where, how do I bring people back in? How do I support a hybrid workforce? Uh, because as much as we, like using the example I just met, as much as we made a decision, we're not going to do it hybrid. We're just going to do it face-to-face and that worked very well for us. In an organizational context that is going to accommodate a hybrid workforce, you can't just say, sorry, we're not going to do the virtual part. You got to figure it out. So we have, there were a lot of sessions that were diving into that space of how do we support that? Another thing that was very unique in DevLearn this year you know, one of the one of my favorite parts of DevLearn as an attendee, as someone who, who went to the event beforehand, even in the regard the world, regardless of the role that I'm in now, has always been the expo. Because to me, the expo is where you go to see where the innovation is happening, to see how the technology and, and, and the advancements in technology and learning are taking place. The, the supplier community is usually ones that are driving that. That they're, they're they're responding to supply and demand, but they're usually the ones pushing the envelope in a, in a meaningful way. So I like to be able to go to the expo and see what's evolved over the last year. It's the first time ever. I mean, there's always opportunity in everything. And one of the opportunities of the fact that we weren't, weren't able to run DevLearn this year is when I went to the expo this year, I was seeing two years of evolution. I was seeing two years worth of work that the supplier community was has been able to do. David, could you address the, the idea that when you said that no one's been able to crack the virtual event sponsorship side, the booths. You want to just elaborate on that? Because I'm sure you've done some research on that. There is a definitive value proposition of what suppliers are looking for when they when they go to an expo. There is 
anyone who's going to say, I want to exhibit at your expo, before I even have a conversation, there is kind of an unspoken understanding of what they're looking for and how we can deliver upon it. No one has figured out the, the interface of transferring that value proposition to a virtual event effectively, a one-to-one -one level. There are, there are certain technologies that, that do things well, but I haven't spoken to a vendor yet who's participated in a virtual event that they were like, that nailed it. That, that was the one that really delivered everything that I'm hoping for in terms of leads and new contacts and, and new business. Um, that it hasn't delivered even as a, at a simplified level. But what was missing was that the browsing nature of walking around an expo and, the, and as much as there was a, 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 a button there that would say, talk to John and learn more about what's going on here. The, the value proposition of why am I clicking that button wasn't really delivered and, and, it, and it didn't get over the hurdle of the awkwardness of just jumping into a Zoom room with someone that you didn't know. You have encouraged members to do all-day workshops, which have been successful in the past. How did that go this year and what topic was most attended? A lot of the authoring tool workshops are always very popular, the instructional design, how do I do the thing, uh, we're doing that. There was more interest this year. We, we put a couple of workshops out there that were playing in the learning sciences space because there is there is more interest in our industry around understanding the science of what we do and, and less around just this is what we do because we do and it seems popular and more around let me understand what works and apply that to our practices. What about the topic of virtual reality? Where's that at? Uh, did you, I noticed that you had e-learning brothers speaking on virtual reality. Are people really interested in that? And what are some really good use cases? Sure. So interest in VR continues to grow. It's it's still, in my mind, emerging within our industry, but it still continues to grow. We've been supporting it within the guild for a while um, through dedicated conferences, dedicated workshops. At DevLearn is an example. We had a, a two-day VR and learning summit that, that explored VR. So it continues to grow. Um, from our standpoint, and this goes back to where I thought about what the guild does, we try to look at what the conversation, where the conversation is, where it needs to go, and what sort of resources we can put in place to help that journey. Uh, and for me, VR, and this is kind of a little bit where the guild is at and a little bit my personal soapbox on it, so take that for a grain of salt. Um, but, but for me, where VR needs to go is everybody knows, like, anyone who's interested in VR, they, you don't need to tell them what it is anymore. You don't need to tell them about what it does anymore. You need to show them examples of it in practice. You need to show it what solutions that it's working on. And those examples exist. There are a lot of organizations that are applying it. Some case, some, in some cases, it's a great baseline thing. In some cases, it's a really robust program. But our, one of the things we try to do in the Guild is find those stories. Elevate them, you know, elevate them, give them visibility so that people can learn from the early adopter. Firefighting is one of the probably most commonly known examples. If I want to treat someone, treat someone not be a firefighter and have to literally create a burning building in order for them to experience it, I can do that once from most cases. Um, but but you have there are lots of opportunities to learn how to do that in VR where you can, it may not necessarily be 100% of the environment, but you can develop an understanding of what you need to do in an environment and simulate it and practice those skills in a safer environment before you get there. And you are starting to see some of those applications. And that's what we're trying to do is make those a little bit more visible so that people can learn from them. So speaking of, so DemoFest, will there be any VR application? Will, will that be showed off? Do you mind sharing a little bit about 
Dev Demo Fest? Oh yeah, so Demo Fest this year um, we was was great. Uh, again, like like most of the things in the pandemic, we did it a little bit differently. We limited the number of demos. Normally, when you, if, if you've ever been to a Demo Fest, normally you've got these little cocktail rounds. Someone with a laptop, people are hovered over to kind of look at it. Uh, and the idea of someone hanging over your shoulder, breathing down your neck, probably wasn't ideal this year. So we 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 adapted and put up big screens that people could see from further away and, and gave people the opportunity to distance where they were comfortable. So we had less demos in the room, um, but one of some of the demos were virtual reality demos where you could see someone put on a headset and, and it worked out sometimes, again, there's opportunity in everything by having these screens in there and creating a different environment than what we normally do. When someone had the VR headset on, we were able to put the VR, what they were seeing in VR up on that screen. So they, you were able to not only have experience it if you were comfortable doing that, but you could see what someone was experiencing up on the screen. And I think within the room, we had you know, a handful of, of VR demonstrations going on of real projects. That's one of the things I love about DemoFest is people bringing real projects that they've created that are applied in their organization. So we did where we were able to showcase a couple of real practical examples of VR and practice from organizations as part of DemoFest this year. When is DemoFest every year? Uh, it's 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 held at two of our major events a year. It's it's a showcase event that takes place at DevLearn and at Learning Solutions. Um, and usually it's it's an end of day two experience where after everyone gone for sessions today, it's a bit of a reception and a showcase. It's a science fair like exhibition that takes place at the events. We always have it at DevLearn and Learning Solutions every year. Yeah, that's a huge value add for individuals to be able to come to the conference and and see what other people are doing. Um, micro learning has been something that's been showcased at DemoFest for many years. Do you still see that as being a, a, bi a big interest? And can you just give us any examples of that and how people are using micro learning? Sure. Um, so micro learning is definitely still of interest. I have a again, soapbox as compared to a statement from the guild, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with, with microlearning, um, mainly because it's a buzzword. And then I have a love-hate relationship with buzzwords in general, mainly because of how I define them. I define a buzzword as a term whose usage is spreading faster than its understanding. Uh, and I think microlearning definitely has fallen into that category. You know, microlearning, the conversation, as much as microlearning has been around for a number of years, I can think of at least three or four different times where the conversation or and value of what micro learning is has been hijacked. You know, it was how long at one point it was hijacked by how long does it really, how long does micro learning really need to be? Is four minutes micro learning, is three minutes micro learning? And it's like, that's not the point. Can we move on from that? Um, but it's still a major thing. And one of the things I find interesting now is whether you want to throw the label at it of micro learning, workflow learning, performance support, all these different labels that are out there. They may be different elements of the bullseye, but they're all hitting the same bullseye. Um, and, and they're all talking about this value proposition of how can we be less disruptive? How can we get people just what they need, when they need it, where they need it? And that need has been is in existence in LLMD for decades. It's just that the technology has caught up now that, that we can deliver it in new ways. We can play in the workflow Personally, again, soapbox, I've always, I've gravitated more towards the, the usage of the phrase workflow learning, because it's more, in my mind, very definitional in its, in its phrasing of what the value is. Find a way to get someone the resources that they need while they're working. That delivered, that's, that's exactly what we should be trying to do um, and not give them everything that they need. And that continues to grow. Uh, but 
examples of, of what one of the things that makes me excited about it. I mentioned earlier that when I was at the expo and you see the evolution of the technologies that the supplier community is doing, that's one of the things you saw. A lot of the elements may not, some of them were, you know, we're a micro learning platform and you can use us in this regard. Um, and that's good, but uh, the other elements were, this is, we've updated our platform to support your employees learning and development. And now we can do these things that are peppering spaced learning or micro learning or whatever elements to it, where it's not just take this course, but it's here's how we're gonna support your growth. Here's how we're gonna help you solve problems through learning in the course of your day. And more and more platforms are starting to play in that space. And that's a good thing for our industry. I saw that there was a session on Trip Feeding Learners, which is a very cool title. Yep. Want our listeners to be aware of your website. Anything that we do, all of our events, you can always go to learning.com, learningguild.com as a hub. And it'll, if you want to explore our events, you can get to those events websites from there as well. Another area that I've watched for many years, and I don't know if it caught your eye or not, but um, are, there, are there good use cases of, of XAPI out there? The early stages of, of XAPI were helping the industry make literally create the spec. And I don't when I said I want to take more credit than it, when I say helping the industry, I mean creating space that the people that are actually doing that work can gather and, and collaborate and, and get together and do that. So we we've tried to create the space where that sort of incubation can happen. And the, the first couple of years of XAPI in our industry were really playing more in that space of Let's get it to version 1.0 and, and get it to a point that it's a legit thing. And over the last couple of years, that conversation has, has evolved. I mean, just recently, one of the people that, that in our industry does a lot of work in the XAPI space um, does a great, great session around like intro to XAPI, for lack of a better term. But a lot of the stuff that is, a lot of the applications that are out there that we're using, we're using XAPI. If you're using XAPI to do exactly what you were doing before you were using XAPI, what was the point? And the fact that you can say, you know, we're XAPI compatible and we're still reporting butts in seats and, and all of that, well, that's not really a meaningful implementation of XAPI. What we want to do is showcase the examples where XAPI is being used in part of transforming your practice in some way. Showcase the examples of we're using XAPI and it's enabled us to do this other, this, this other ben, provide this benefit to our organization or this understanding of our of, of competency in our organization. Those are, the, those are the stories that we want to put on a pedestal and say, this is what people have been talking about. The organizations that are using XAPI in an effective way are starting to inform the stories that they're telling and showing the value of what learning and education can provide to their organization. And that's what really excites me about that, that, that whole conversation. I'm sure one of the big value propositions that you provide is your research. Mm -hmm. um, I've taken advantage of it many times through the years. What's the upcoming research that you have planned? Got a, a host of things. I mean, we, we were fortunate enough a couple of years ago when Jane Bozarth had retired from uh, her role with state government. Uh, I, I gave her a call. I was like, well, how retired are you exactly? Uh, and, she, and she joined our team as our research director a couple of years ago. Things that made our research so valuable. Uh, but one of the things that I've always appreciated about Jane's approach to research is it's very practical. It's very much like, a, how do I put this into use? How do I do this? I'm not an academic. Let's let's sit down and, and dive deep into the, the intricacies of everything. It's it's how do we put this? What, what does the data say and how can we use it? Uh, and, and she tends to be very practical on that. So she's done a lot of that in the last couple of years. I know right now she's working on one around video and learning and how do we put that into use and what are the proven practices around that that we can apply in our work. We just recently did a report around emerging technologies and, and how to make decisions around those. We are 
doing our, our annual uh, review of what, what's going on in research. She does a great job of synthesizing other organizations' research. David, thanks so much for your time today. You're running a fabulous organization that more people should know about. And we reach out to the the National Association space and those that are in education and more of those should know about you and attend your conferences. So hopefully we can spread the good news. I appreciate that. I really appreciate the feedback and, and the opportunity to talk about the field today. Perfect. Thanks for joining. Thank you both. Oops, that was David Kelly. Be sure to go to devlearn.com. Check out all the resources and reviews available. 